Welcome back, 7 Generation listeners. We are now on to episode 6. But before we get started, I want to thank all the essential workers who are risking their health to keep our Amazon packages coming. Those of you who are working as cashiers, baggers, mechanics, truck drivers, and all the working class folks out there who are keeping our society running, thank you. You are all heroes. Without you, I don't know where society would be. And of course, to the healthcare professionals on the front lines of this health crisis, you are doing an amazing job. We wish you nothing but good health and strength. To some of the listeners who have given me feedback in regards to the show, I really do appreciate it. I hope to continually improve the show's quality. I'm definitely still learning about audio, editing, and the various issues that come with podcasting. Okay, so our show's guest is a registered nurse here in the Fresno area. Her name is Kelly. I was asked to not disclose her last name, as she does have some critical views of her employer, which is Kaiser. In this episode, we discuss the adventures of nursing, COVID-19, and the lack of medical supplies currently available to healthcare workers, such as the N95 mask, the gowns, and other necessary medical provisions. The show was recorded on April 13th, so it did take some time to complete the editing process. I will say, however, there is some great content here, and I hope that most of you take the time to listen to the entire episode. So without further ado, let's get started. Okay, so I'd like to welcome our guest, her name is Kelly, and she is a nurse here in the San Joaquin Valley. She works for Kaiser. Welcome to our show, Kelly. Hello. Hi, everyone. <laughs> How are you doing? Doing doing good. I'm just taking things day by day. Every day is a new day in COVID world now. So Yeah. yeah. Well, before we get uh started talking about COVID-19 and this new health crisis. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, a little bit about, um, you know, where you grew up, where you went to school, uh, your education, those types of things. Okie dokie. Um, so some of you know me already. <laughs> I reintroduced myself. I'm Kelly. Uh, I grew up here in the Valley, uh, Fresno. I grew up here pretty much all my life. Um, in terms of nursing, I've been a registered nurse for coming up on five years now. Um, I've been a nurse since I was 24. Uh, I didn't like when it came to nursing for me, there's a lot of people who will say stuff like, oh, I always wanted to be a nurse since I was a kid, that kind of stuff, where they had some experience as a child that made them want to become a nurse. Um, that's not really the case for me. Um, I actually graduated high school, never wanted to think about medical because I was afraid of needles, and I still am to this day. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I was an art major. <laughs> I went to San Jose State for a couple of years trying to get into illustration, realized it wasn't going to work out for me. 
Um, and when I decided to change majors, I couldn't really think of anything um, at the time. My brother, actually, he's a couple years older than me, had gone into the nursing program at Fresno State, followed by my mom a couple years after him. And so when I decided to change majors, I, I couldn't think of anything else, but I wanted like the mental challenge because I was pretty good at like academics and stuff. So I just followed in their footsteps. So between my brother and my mom and I, we kind of started this nurse family, quote unquote. Um, but yeah, we we're like about two years apart from each other in terms of like going into nursing school and becoming nurses. So um, that's where I just decided to go into nursing because I figured, you know, it's a stable job. It's a good challenge. Ever since I was a kid, I always like cared too much about people and like animals and stuff. So I'm like, okay, uh, let me put my time into and my effort into something I might get some positivity out of. So um, I think in 2012, I got accepted into Fresno State. Um, and I did my the program over at state. It's a fairly difficult program to get into where they require um, usually a recommend of a GPA of like about 3.7 and up for prereqs. And um, yeah, I got in there, did three years of nursing, just um, clinicals, hospital and prep. Um, with nurses as students. I got an externship, um, which is essentially an internship, but it's paid. So I would go, I worked at uh, Fresno Community as like a nurse assistant. I would earn my shifts um, to practice under a nurse where I would essentially like be a nurse in a way. So I did that for a year before I graduated in um, 2015. Um, I got my bachelor's degree in nursing, so I'm a, it's a BSN. Okay, so um, I, I was working as a nurse assistant to kind of earn my uh, shifts to work under a nurse, which is um, a little different. So I had to work three shifts as a nurse assistant, and then I would get one day to practice um, under the supervision of a nurse doing nursing care. Um, I did that for about a year while I was in nursing school and then graduated in 2015. And that's when I started my career as a nurse. Um, I am, uh, I do have a bachelor's degree. So I have my BSN in nursing from Fresno state. Um, and yeah, I worked at Fresno community in the ICU step down for about a year and a half before I decided to make the jump to Kaiser, which wasn't easy either. <laughs> I had to go through Kaiser Santa Clara for about seven months before I can transfer over to Fresno. And I've been in Kaiser Fresno since then. But yeah, um, I will be coming up on five years of being a registered nurse up in, in about July, I believe. So where does your mom and your, your brother work? <laughs> so my mom actually works at Kaiser too. Um, I work in telemetry, which um, in Kaiser, we have uh, three main inpatient floors. So when I say inpatient, that's when you get, if you come in through the ER and you have to stay in the hospital, you get admitted. And depending on how sick you are, you may go to intensive care, which is the sickest of the sick, 
um, telemetry, which is like the middle ground where you would require heart monitoring. Um, so like the squiggly lines you would see on TV and stuff like that. Um, so that's telemetry um, with heart monitoring plus whatever illness you may have. Like a lot of our patients come in like having a heart attack or strokes or respiratory breathing problems, GI, which is like your stomach. So we have a wide range of um, diagnosis. And then there's med surge, which is where my mom works, which is like the lowest level of care, but still requiring nursing care, or they're not on a heart monitor anymore, but they still require nursing attention before they may be deemed uh, safe to go home. And we do discharge patients from telemetry as well. But um, yeah, I work tele and my mom works med surge. My brother, um, he used to be an intensive care nurse, but he actually, he's not working right now. He just um, got his doctorate in nurse anesthesia. So he's waiting to get a job in that right now. And he'll be working at community downtown. Oh, very nice, very nice. So um, have you guys had a contest? Like who's the best nurse in the family? <laughs> uh, not really. I mean, we all think differently. Um, ICU nurses are very, uh, I mean, I will say they probably have the most well-rounded knowledge because they deal with everything from, there is a, tons of drips. Um, and when I say drips, there's IV medications that help um, a lot of times when, you're, when a patient is unstable, they keep the heart rate up or the blood pressure up. So they handle those things. They handle intubated patients, which are, the, you know, having a tube down your throat. Um, so they have to deal with a lot more. So they have some knowledge. But on the other hand, like a med surgeon nurse, like my mother, they handle more patients. They have, they know discharging and all, all there's like, there's like a wide range of knowledge amongst all of us. So I wouldn't necessarily say for us, at least, between my family, there's one nurse that's better or smarter than the other. The work ethic and the workload is definitely different, though. So my brother might know more something more than I know, but I might know something more than he knows. And same, like, amongst my mom as well. <laughs> well, that's cool. You guys, I mean, I've never um, even heard of a nursing family. Um I'm sure that, you know, if there's something that, you know, you want to learn more about, the knowledge is readily accessible there. Oh, yeah. Like my mom's <laughs> talk to your mom asking, or your brother. Yeah, my mom's asking me things like especially because we, we both work at Kaiser. She's like, do you know how to do this? Like, do you know the process of giving blood or what is the rationale for this or that? Or what's the treatment for this or that? Um, because I, me working in telemetry, I work a step above her. We deal a lot with a lot more diagnosis and stuff like that. So we're constantly between my mom and I, we're always like swapping knowledge. And I'm like, if you need help with something, I'll help you. Or let me, this is what I think about this situation or what have you. So, and then my brother chimes in once in a while, but he hasn't like actively done bedside nursing in a few years. Yeah. It sounds like your brother's moving up the, the, um, the ladder uh, he is yeah he's lazy though it's just how he's always been he wants to do as little as possible and that's where <laughs> anesthesiology is <laughs> make the most money do the least amount of work but i mean that's just how my brother is um my mom and i are sounds like a sounds like a smart guy <laughs> <laughs> no yeah no he's, he's not wrong he he doesn't want to work hard but yeah he's just 
yeah, that's just the way he, he functions differently than I do. So you said that you weren't really interested in becoming a nurse. You just kind of uh, fell into it. Um, so is there anything about uh, nursing that has surprised you? Something that you maybe haven't, uh, didn't really think about or didn't anticipate before getting into nursing? Yeah, so there is a lot of, I mean, I don't want to talk negatively about nursing because I think it's a, it's a great field. It's very challenging, um, but it's also very rewarding in that you get, like, it, at least for where I work, I get a lot of connection with people. Um, I'm very passionate. Like, some people, there, I, I hate to say there are some nurses who don't have that, like, ability to connect and like really put thorough care into their work so much as they're just doing a job. But um, I like some of the people in the stories I hear, like I, I really care about connecting to them. And I never imagined that I would care so much about these patients and wanting to do a good job. I mean, at, but at the same time, it's like, this is a job where we're in the field of caring and it's not just about the medical aspect about wanting to heal. It's also being about being there and supporting them. Like the one thing I always tell people is like, these are the most vulnerable people. They're in a very vulnerable spot in their lives. So like constantly being reminded of that kind of keeps me grounded. Um, uh, a thing that I hate to say it's, it's, it's a negative, but it's a very real, truth about nursing is that they don't there's some things that you don't we aren't taught for example we're not taught how to handle death per se like for me I personally I I sometimes I struggle with it especially if it's a patient that I've been taking care of for a while and especially with the patients that are relatively young and when I say young, I consider, you know, up to like 60, 70, I consider to be young patients. And so there's no real way of like handling, you know, those emotions when you learn that a patient passed away, or if we have a patient who goes into cardiac arrest on our shift and we lose them, there's no way of like really handling that. Like there, there, there's no preparation for that kind of stuff. And there's not, there's not also not a lot of preparation for, I mean, putting, being put in positions where you have to, you have to weigh, like prioritize to the point where it's like, do I go to the bathroom right now? Or do I run to my patient who might fall on the floor, even though I haven't peed in eight hours type of situation. Um, and also the what's going on right now with the COVID-19 pandemic and all the lack of supplies, which we'll get into that, but they, they, it's very stressful. We're doing more than just a nursing job. We often have to act almost as doctor without being licensed because we have to be able to assess the situation and make recommendations. And if we can't get what we need for the patient, what do we do from there? There's a lot on our plate that it's, 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 it can be a little frustrating sometimes and very stressful. And it's really hard for me personally not to take work home with me where I, I come home and I'm like, what could I have done differently? Or I'm thinking about this patient and hoping that they're still okay or hoping that they're there the next day when I come yeah. back kind of stuff. I mean, coming from working at community, 
um, which is it's a community hospital, so anyone can go in there. I've learned a lot about like different nationalities and practices and stuff like that, um, like Hmong culture, a little bit about like uh, Sikh culture, uh, you know, African American, not even just cultures, but like demographics and like working with homeless people, just like the whole a big not the whole spectrum but a big spectrum of like different nationalities and different mindsets you know thinking about diet or what kind of um, practices they have at home with like medication and health those kinds of things and being where I am now we don't we don't have we don't see like a wide variety that much but there's like a whole aspect that needs to be taken into account like just like just that human connection and knowing like if your patient is this nationality, you might want to think about things a little bit differently or take a different approach. Or if they are a different demographic or, you know, like economical demographic or just like educational, some people you might need to like really simplify things. Cause like, not only am I a nurse, but I'm not like a, like not like a credentialed teacher, but we teach a lot um, to our patients. And I, that's one of the biggest things I pride myself on is trying to teach my patients and tell them, you know, ask them, what do you know? Um, this is what you're doing. This is why we're doing it. And trying to like put it in a level to where that they can understand. And, you know, if they have diet different, like if there's a cultural difference, like in diet or stuff like that, we need to try and make adjustments in our education to, for them to understand like if it's a diet thing or an activity thing or what have you but it's it's all about that like human connection at the end of yeah, the day absolutely do you think that um our nursing programs are just not really addressing that part of nursing well enough and if that's the case what do you what would you suggest nursing programs do to better prepare a nurse to enter into this really complex, diverse world that we live in? Um, I think in terms of like diversity, from what I remember, like going through Fresno State, um, they taught us a little bit about diversity in the sense of like pharmacology, which is medication side effects stuff like that like there's certain nationalities that tolerate medications a certain way um also um in terms of just general um like there's certain nationalities that are prone to certain diagnosis like for example we typically see some african americans are prone to hypertension and cardiac problems stuff like that um um that's just a small example but uh they don't really teach us about connection per se. That's just like a, I think that's a learned thing. And then it's, it's a matter of who the nurse is as a person, like what their personality personality is like, if they want to put that, like take that time to make that emotional connection with their patients. Um, and I think that's just more of like an individual thing. That's not something that's necessarily taught in nursing. Like, um, in the beginning of a nursing program, um, we, there's like 12 steps that we're supposed to follow in terms of nursing. Some of them is like, do no harm. There's like very basic stuff, but they don't teach you how to care and be kind and be 
empathetic and sympathetic. I think that just comes with whoever the person is that is taking on that role of nurse. And not everyone has those abilities to take on those characteristics. And that's why you have those, I hate to say those really crummy, shitty nurses sometimes, (laughs) because sometimes they're jaded or sometimes they forget why they entered into nursing or they just entered into nursing for money. And I hate to say there are some people who are like that and it's just, it's really unfortunate but I think if there's anything schools should have a class on that kind of stuff it's like reminding them to be you know empathetic and sympathetic and you know care and it I, I mean it's a I don't know there's no class on teaching someone how to do that though um between at least between the schools like um Fresno State and Fresno City College uh yeah. I mean, I think I you, <laughs> I mean, you know, much of it has to do with the person as well. I mean, if you're a caring, compassionate, yeah. loving person and you decide to become a nurse, I'm sure you're going to be caring and compassionate and loving towards patients. If you're kind of a mean person or just not very nice and you become a nurse, you're probably not going to be very nice. <laughs> You know, it's, yeah. um, I mean, yeah. I think that that could be part of the problem as well. And, um, you know, nonetheless, I, I do, you know, obviously I'm an educator, so I believe strongly in education. I think the more knowledge we have in dealing with people, the better you would be able to handle yourself in a variety of situations, especially with some of the things that you were talking about, the socioeconomic differences between us and you know, the racial and cultural differences. In some cases, um, you know, those divides are really, really, you know, quite wide. And if you are educated in, you know, different cultures and understand diversity, or if you just generally speaking, you respect diversity, you're probably going to handle those situations much better than if you are completely clueless when it comes to you know, the diversity that we have, especially here in the San Joaquin Valley, where you have so many different cultures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've learned, I mean, I can't say I know everything, but I've learned a few things, like, especially with like dietary stuff, like in my hospital, our hospital food's terrible. And for me, like, if my patient who might be mong per se, if they don't, I can't blame them for not wanting to eat. So I'll be like, I'll tell them if it's, within like their diet like maybe you can ask your family to bring in food that you like because I want you to eat because eating is part of like you know health and healing is getting those nutrients just little little things like that but I mean we have it's so diverse here in the valley that I mean I've I see so many different things and it's it's a very important thing at least for nurses around here to keep in mind or if they have the opportunity to learn, learn about. And I think um, going into nursing and working at community was like, I only lasted there for a short amount of time, but I learned so much about so many different people while I worked. So what's the most rewarding part of your profession? I'd say, I mean, there are multiple little aspects to nursing that I, that I get a lot of reward from, but I think 
the thing for me personally is um, the ability to be there and be sympathetic and empathetic to people in their most vulnerable moments. Um, I really, really like when patients are, um, they actually listen and are want to know more about what's going on with them. They have, they ask questions, I guess the, the term is they're engaged in their care. Um, and it's, I mean, it, it is nice to have someone say, you know, thank you, or you're, you're my favorite nurse or what have you. But it's, I mean, for me, it's just knowing that I can be there for someone when it, like, it's a, I mean, this is a very important time in their life. I mean, it's not something that they always anticipate that's going to happen, but I want them to know that, you know, if they don't feel like some people are on their side sometimes, like whether it be their family or the doctor, at least they have me and at least they have some support. Um, And it's, it's really good to see, I mean, it's not, not a case that happens all the time, but it's good to see people improve and get better and appreciate the care that they get. Um, It doesn't always happen. Some patients don't always get better, unfortunately, but the ones that do, it's really awesome to see that. And it's also in a weird way for those who don't get better, knowing that I put all my effort into helping them or making them as comfortable as possible. Um, that's also been rewarding for me because I know that not every nurse is going to put in a hundred percent for their patients. Like for me, usually if my patient says something, I take it to heart. Like if they tell me they come to me with a complaint, I'm going to be like, okay, let me see what I can do for you versus some other nurses that will just let it go in one ear and out the other. Um, so, uh, I think I just, <laughs> I went on a ramble there, but. No, that was a, that was an outstanding answer. Yeah. No, I just, just being able to be there for people and them knowing that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a nurse who tries for them because they're vulnerable and they need someone that they can trust and they can trust me. That's one of the biggest things that's, the nursing profession is one based on a lot of trust. So yeah, it's good to know that. (laughs) Yeah. So what's the best advice you could give to future nurses? Um, I would say that make sure you, you know that this, I mean, nursing, yeah, you can make money with nursing, but you want to go in there with a very open mindset and a very caring attitude um, nursing is a field of caring and you will be working with a lot of different types of people, um, very diverse people, people who are maybe dying, people who are not dying. You, you don't know, but at the same time, they, all these pe- people that you'll be seeing are there because they need your help. And one of the biggest, most important things I think, um, needs to be like continued in nursing is caring and having a positive upbeat attitude also while like maintaining realisticness because one thing that I learned in nursing school was you never tell someone it will be okay because you don't know that for sure but you can be supportive of them even if you don't have have anything to say 
as long as you can put yourself in their shoes, that's one of the biggest things I think when it comes to nursing. Um, you have to try your best to be strong. I mean, going through the nursing program is hard. Um, I know that it's something you have to constantly push through. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, and don't be afraid to ask questions because when you go into nursing, you're going to focus on some part of the human body at some point, whether you specialize in, um, cardiac or you specialize in endoscopy, which is the GI tract, or you specialize in human geriatrics, which is the whole, that's old people, but their whole body, the, the specialty, there's different specialties that feature different parts of the body. Um, so it's just a good to get a well-rounded education just on humans in general, but it's not just the body. It's also the mind and how you interact with people, um, how you make your patients feel because you're not there just to take care of them medically, but you have to be able to be supportive, be supportive of them and, um, just take into account their whole, the whole person, not just what's wrong with them or what their complaint is. Uh, yeah, it's hard to do, but that's one of the biggest things I think for future nurses is just maintaining that level of caring where you can see the person for the, who they are, the whole person, not just their body, I guess you could say, or their illness or what have you. Yeah. <laughs> So obviously we're dealing with a very serious health crisis right now. Um, pretty much the entire United States is in shelter in place, some type of uh, shelter in place order. Um, you are a healthcare professional who's working with COVID patients. So can you talk a little bit about your job and some of the things that are currently going on right now? Okay. So like, as you said, I, I am a registered nurse. I work directly with COVID patients. Um, my floor or my my floor is spread into two units, and my unit I call it my we call it our home unit because that's the unit I was assigned to has been turned into essentially a COVID unit, which is all either COVID positive patients or um, patients that are being ruled out. Um, there are some patients in intensive care unit, but that's a scope of, um, that's a skill set I don't have. Um, but I do work directly with those. Uh, we do have some positive patients um, every day. Not every day, but, every, but like every other day or so we are finding like we are getting more results for maybe one or two pa patients that are positive. But uh, um. What's going on, I mean, it's a nationwide issue. I'm sure a lot of people have heard about it. I've talked about it on my Instagram where there is a, a lack of PPE, which is called uh, personal protective equipment. And what I mean by that, it's the gloves. I mean, gloves we have, fortunately. Um, gowns, N95s, which are the respirator masks. Those are like the very protective ones. Um, and then there's a basic surgical mask, which don't allow for as much protection. Uh, we use either goggles or a face shield for eye protection. And 
Um, it's a nationwide issue where there's a shortage within my hospital. The reason I speak out is my hospital, like I've mentioned it before, it's a billion dollar, like they make billions of dollars and they are treating this as though we're, and I don't know the exact levels of, um, where we're supposed to start rationing and reusing PPE, but we are not at that point yet. And what I've been talking about, like on my Instagram and stuff like that is we are like our administration and higher ups are treating it as if we are, and we are not there yet. And I know there's other places like, for example, New York, where they might need to be reusing PPE and gowns and stuff like that between patients because they are hit really hard. I mean, they are like the the biggest hotspot. New York is the number one leader in uh, COVID positive patients. I think California is probably like number five or six of all the states. But um, the reason I speak out is because, I mean, in the Valley, Kaiser, it's a decent sized hospital. So we do serve a lot of Kaiser patients. And for our higher ups to want us to now reuse gowns which is um, the hospital gowns that we use um that's a it's a layer of protection for us but that's that serves as a big surface for germs and working in the covid unit we have patients that are positive and patients that we call rule out patients which is we're waiting for results if that patient is i have one patient who's positive and one who's potentially negative if I have to wear a gown between those two rooms, I'm going to cross-contaminate. I mean, odds are pretty high, I would think I would cross-contaminate between the positive patient and the negative patient. And that's why um, we've been speaking out about it. I've been talking about, um, I spoke out, I spoke about it on my, my Instagram earlier today. Um, and it's not just the gowns, that was the, the cause for um the it's not we we're not in a strike but we kind of had a protest today um the, we barely won the right to get an, an one n95 per shift uh about a week ago but our hospital is following the lowest standards of protection which is promoted by the cdc and there has been proof that wearing um just like a basic surgical mask is causing people to get sick nurses are getting sick um we're, I mean, it's getting spread all around. And if we don't have nurses to take care of these patients, then who's going to take care of them? That's just that's just one side of it. But now that they want us to wear these contaminated gowns between patients, I care about the patients, and I do not want to contaminate so one patient we have, by wearing that gown. So what you're saying, so we have patients who we know 100% have tested positive for COVID. And then we have other yes. patients who are are they really sick and they're just waiting to get the test back? And so you're having, yeah. so, so you're, you're, um, you're treating a patient who is known to have the virus and then you're going mm-hmm. to treat another patient who may or may not have it. And you're wearing the same, basically yeah. the same gown. Yes. And a lot of our patients, fortunately, are coming back negative. But for them to start pushing that they want us to wear the same gown between patients, that's just, it's 
to me and to a lot of our nurses, it's ridiculous that they want us to do that because we know as nurses, we know it's not safe. I mean, as I like when I went into nursing, like one of the first things they teach us, if you go into a room and you need to put a gown and gloves on, you don't come out of that room without throwing it off or taking it off and throwing it away. You're constantly changing out the PPE. You don't, you don't come out of the room with dirty PPE on. And for them to want us to go between rooms, especially between a patient who's known positive and a patient who may not be, even if they come back negative, I mean, they may not have it. They may get it just because of this dirty gown that they want us to wear. And they may have made claims that we have the supplies, but we're just not seeing it. And for me personally, I feel, I would feel terrible to like be held like accountable for spreading this because my job doesn't want to provide us the protection. And it's not even about me as a nurse anymore. Like that was one thing, but for me not to be able to do the, do right by my patients because the company wants to hold back on supply is just something completely different to me. Yeah. And, you know, right now Fresno is not even a hotspot. I mean, imagine uh, no. a, a worst case scenario where Fresno gets hit really hard and you all are <laughs> undersupplied with the N95 mask and, of course, the gowns. Um, I could see that being a major, major problem. Um, I mean, I, I've read that in New York, you know, some of these nurses there are so undersupplied that they're having to make their own shields. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they're, you know, being required to take a mask that has probably been contaminated in some way because there's so many COVID positive patients and they're having to wash the mask and reuse it. And that just seems crazy that in the United States of America that we would have this problem. Right. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks ago, um, they were giving us one surgical mask, which is not an N95, and having us use it for the whole shift um, and then store it in a paper bag. Fortunately, we run we won the right to have we get a surgical mask plus an N95. I mean, me personally, I, I've been blessed, I guess you can say, in that I've had a lot of people reach out and give me N95s because the one N95 I get, if I go into a positive room, I am not taking that N95 into any other rooms. I will keep it strictly for that positive room. And then I will take one of my own N95s that someone has given to me, like whether it's friends or family and use it for the rest of my patients. So I, that is also an issue that I feel is like a safety thing. Um, and it's just unfortunate because we should not, we're not there yet. And for them to be treating this so lightly, it's just, oh, it's frustrating. Yeah. So do you anticipate the virus hitting Fresno or the San Joaquin Valley pretty hard? Or do you think that social distancing is actually working here in California? I think um, I've, I've just been kind of following the news where, where they're talking about expecting us to peak 
Um, and I would think that would be kind of like a nationwide expectation or, you know, kind of an estimate. So I don't think we're considering what it's been like the past few days at work. I don't think we're going to be hit too hard. At the same time, it's hard for me to say for sure, because Kaiser is a private, like it's a private insurance. So we don't get as many patients. So I don't know how many patients are, for example, going downtown or to St. Agnes, but it doesn't seem like there is a, that we're getting hit super hard. And hopefully this peak happens within the next week and dwindles down after that. But it's, it's kind of difficult to say, but we, we aren't surprisingly, we, we aren't super busy, but I don't, I go back to work tomorrow. So it might be a different day. Every day. Yeah. Every day is a little bit different in terms of how many patients we have. Like I, I believe um, on this last Sunday, about, uh, no, I take that back. Was it Sunday? Yeah, Sunday, there was like 15 patients in the unit. And then um, the day before that, we had like seven or eight. So it, it widely varies. So every time we, we were pushing patients off, if they come back negative, we're moving them out we're going to get one, two, maybe three in a shift coming back, coming in from the ER that we're checking instead. So it, it, it has varied um, in the amount of patients, but I'm hoping to see that we're going, we're slowing down, but I don't know what, what's going to be like tomorrow when I come back into work. I know that they're looking for people to pick up shifts. So I'm thinking we're probably still getting those patients and it hasn't quite dwindled down yet. Right. Okay, so just curious, are people still getting the flu or is flu season over? And how bad was the flu this year? Um, so the flu, flu season, um, usually the CDC kind of decides when it ends, but it's typically around April, May. Um, I'm not 100% sure, sure flu season is over right now, but um, it had been pretty bad this year. Um, on my unit, we have about 24 beds and prior to the COVID pandemic, so like mid-January, um, at any one time about, I'd say maybe like a fifth of our rooms were flu, um, droplet precautions, which is typically indicative of either flu A, flu B, um, either one of those two strands. So patients, like about a fifth of our patients had the flu of some sort, um, which is a pretty decent amount compared to last year. But last year wasn't too bad. Um, the unfortunate thing that I have kind of mentioned to some of my coworkers before that concerns me is we are not currently testing for the flu because uh, I guess we're on a shortage of swabs in general. Um, so anyone who comes in at this point, they're so much more concerned about COVID that we're swabbing for COVID. Um, and we just are not testing for the flu. So I, I have a feeling that a lot of our patients that are coming back negative for COVID probably have the flu would be my guess. Um, so I think there's a lot of, a lot of cases of flu that are just not being diagnosed at this point. Um, the, the fortunate thing is, is that hospital-wide, at least at Kaiser, they, about a couple of weeks ago, they mandated that everyone gets to wear or is given a mask. 
so we are going into rooms with masks. So if someone did have the flu, at least we would have that protection with the surgical mask. Um, but I think there are a lot of patients that are going undiagnosed and we just don't know about. Is it possible that some of these patients are also testing um, negative for COVID and you, maybe you're making the assumption they have the flu, but maybe they have COVID and they just, it's just a, a the test came back um, negative, but it was a false negative. Um, I, we haven't seen that in the hospital, at least at Kaiser yet, but they have, there has been talks about that. Like we, we have had to retest a few patients, um, for COVID and I don't think any of our patients have come back positive even after a few days of being retested. Um, but it sounds like that there has been some false negatives that have come back positive. I mean, or else they wouldn't be, um, doctors wouldn't be talking about it or retesting. But I don't think we have any cases, at least at our hospital yet. But there, yeah. there's always that possibility. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've also read that it's possible COVID-19 was spreading in California maybe a couple of months before it hit New York. And that many people who went to the hospital with, with the flu or with flu sent, symptoms actually had COVID. I don't know if any of these ideas have any validity, but I have read a few articles where there's, there's some researchers who are, who are arguing that it is possible that, that COVID-19 um, hit California a little earlier. And that's one of the reasons why we haven't really had a high number of cases when you look at New York and New York is just, you know, slammed with um, uh, COVID-19, you know, positive patients and, you know, California, it just doesn't seem like it has, it's been that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wonder if it was out here, you know, maybe a little earlier and maybe some of us had it, maybe some people had it and, you know, got really sick and recovered from it. And, you know, possibly some people went to the hospital and maybe they, they were told they had the flu. Yeah. I mean, so. it does, it does make sense. I mean, I, it just like my, me thinking like geographically, like if anywhere, if people were traveling from China, I think, you know, California is the first state in the United States. So I'm sure there was a stop at some point, like flight stops. Um, and then, I'm sure it spread around and then people traveling to New York or what have you. And then we know that New York is a lot more condensed in like the whole, you know, it's just like a more packed city. So that's how it's spread so quickly in New York. But I mean, it does make sense though. It just like the whole geographical. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. I mean, thinking about New York, I mean, I was there back in December and I could see how, a, pan- a pandemic like COVID-19 could just devastate that city because yeah. you have so many people cramped in such a tight space. Mm-hmm. And I could just imagine, I mean, I, I rode the, the subways there and, you know, I went to Ellis Island and there's just people everywhere, Statue of Liberty. I mean, just people walking and spreading all their germs. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it, I mean, it's a, it's an amazing place. I mean, I really, really love my time in New York. Um, but 
I can definitely see how COVID-19 just, you know, spread throughout that city really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people walking shoulder to shoulder, not everyone has proper like hygiene and etiquette when it comes to coughing and sneezing. It, it was, I mean, unfortunately it was bound, bound to happen. And it's just like, it's those really condensed cities that that's, I mean, that, I guess that's how I just created the hotspot. I just ravaged through because people are so close together. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised I didn't get sick while I was there because I remember, you know, wherever I went, it just seemed there were sick people. There were people coughing and sneezing. And I remember mm-hmm. the plane ride there and the plane ride back. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just seemed like every other person on the plane had some kind of cough. And I'm like thinking to myself, my God, I'm being infected by everything (laughs) under the sun right now. Yeah. So when this, when this thing broke out in New York, um, it just didn't surprise me. And, uh, you know, here in California, especially the San Joaquin Valley, we're a little more spread out. Um, And I don't know if that helps us out a bit more. It might be a little easier for us to um, social distance in New York, I mean, that's impossible unless you shut down the city like they did. It's impossible to social distance there. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're still going to have those people who, you know, want to defy rules. But, I mean, people still have to go out and, you know, use their public transportation or a lot of people walk out there. So, it, I mean, I don't know. There's only so much that they can do. So, yeah. Yeah. So, have any nurses... Or any doctors, anybody at the hospital that you work at, have they been um, uh, uh, tested for COVID-19 and come back positive? Yes. Um, oh, wow. Yes. That's another thing I didn't, I didn't want to speak on before, but since it's been mentioned and it's on the news, um, yeah, we had approximately 10 nurses. Um, there's been many, many nurses who've been exposed to it. 10 who, they said it about 10 who's tested positive. Doctors, I'm not 100% sure. Um, but we've had some, some nurses be admitted into the hospital because of, the, you know, the symptoms of COVID. So, yeah, it's that, that's another big issue that they wanted to speak on today at our um, protest. Where did the protest take place? Um, it took place at, at uh, the Kaiser's main hospital, um, right in front of the hospital at the entrance um, on Fresno Street. So we, that's usually where, where we always go for protests, whether it's our union or in support of another union or whatever. My union is um, California Nurses Association. I think we're the only union hospital in the Valley, but um, we're, we're a part of a larger union. It's uh, National Nurses United. Okay. So can you talk a little bit about uh, the COVID patients and just what, what the experience is, um, at least from the nurse's standpoint and watching these people and what they're going through? I mean, can, can you kind of explain to us who haven't been around anybody who's had COVID and we really just don't know except for what we hear in the news? I mean, you've obviously seen somebody up close mm-hmm. who's dealing with this virus. So what is it like? Um, it has varied, like in terms of symptoms, um, like the severity of symptoms, it has varied. Um, like I've had some patients who 
just have a bit of a cough. I mean, a lot of them have come in with fevers. I think pretty much all of them have come in with pretty high fevers at one point. Um, a lot of them are still experiencing cough, but um, it's, I think it depends on like their length of stay and their um, how they've, the, the treatment and how, like how long they've been getting the medications. But um, some are not doing too bad, I guess you could say, um, while others are kind of progressively getting worse. And a lot of it has to do, um, as they've mentioned uh, before, what are called comorbidities or what illnesses people already have. Uh, For example, anyone who has respiratory problems such as COPD or asthma, they're going to have a lot harder time because COVID is a primarily a respiratory um, disease. Uh, So if they already have uh, restrictive lung capacity, they're going to have a lot harder time and they might be the ones ending up on a lot of oxygen or maybe even on a ventilator. Whereas um, the ones with less uh, comorbidities or none have a higher chance of, you know, getting over COVID easier, but that doesn't necessarily mean that um, they're not still going to have symptoms and they're not still going to have problems. Um, so it, it, it has widely varied, at least amongst the patients on my floor. I mean, like I mentioned, we do have patients who are in, in the intensive care unit and those patients um, are, most of them are pretty much intubated, which is having the tube down their throat and having the most, like a lot of medications, a lot of care. And those are the patients where the uh, infection or the, the virus has really taken over their body and caused um, what's essentially called septic shock, where their body, their body goes into shock and a lot of their organs start to fail and stuff like that. Um, it's just a big inflammatory response that just spreads throughout the body versus COVID starting just in the lungs. For the most part, it starts in the lungs. It will spread throughout the body and cause organ failure. And those are the patients who are in ICU, which I haven't seen those. But if you're in ICU, you're in pretty bad shape. Okay. Yeah. Have you seen some patients come in, they test positive? You know, maybe they come in with a slight fever, they come in, they test positive, and you send them home. And in a, in a couple of days, they're fine. Have you seen that happen? I... You know, I haven't seen any of our positive patients actually be sent home yet. Um, Not that they're necessarily getting worse per se, um, but there are some, like some of the nurses and I have been talking about, like, how do they send these patients home to families who need, or like if they need care at home and there's risk of spreading it to families, like their family members, whether it be like their kids or their spouse. And that is something like I'm sure they'll they'll just have the, those family members self monitor and self quarantine, but I haven't seen any patients go home yet that have tested positive. Um, the ones that have tested positive are pretty much all still in the hospital. Not, not like I said, not that they're getting worse, but a lot of them aren't necessarily really getting better either. Yeah, you know it's interesting. I mean the, the it seems like this disease is um, very easy to acquire if you're in close proximity to somebody who has Mm -hmm. it. And I know that, you know, that's one of the problems that, you know, New York is having is that you have these families who, you know, live in these small apartments 
Um, and, you know, I just can imagine being sent home and having to self quarantine. How are you going to do that in a small apartment where you have, you know, maybe two families living together. Right. Um, and, you know, you think about, you know, just in just a typical family here. I mean, it, it, it would be difficult, you know, for some people to, to go home and self quarantine. I mean, you know, it's not like, you know, our homes have two kitchens and mm-hmm. you know, two separate, uh, uh, you know, living areas. So that way people can not come in contact. And, you know, right. apparently this, this disease is just really easy to contract, to contract mm-hmm. if you're around somebody who, um, is, uh, is positive and it's kind of, that part of it is kind of scary. Yeah. I mean, coming out about how easy it is like how far it spreads like the droplets um and it's not even just a droplet uh infection I guess uh, yeah I guess you could say call it an infection I mean I was doing some research and like just by speaking you're spreading droplets which are pretty fine like I think speaking produces finer droplets that can be inhaled by someone standing too close and they're saying that these droplets can travel up to 13 feet now I guess um so that's why I I decided like once they started talking about the risk of transmitting it by speaking I'm like I gotta stay away from <laughs> like not going to the gym when you were having the private lessons um but you know there's still the risk by you know mucous membranes so if you touch something and then you touch your nose your mouth your eyes um so it's it's a lot more contagious than the common flu from what I've been doing research and that's what they've been saying. Yeah, as and well. you hear about these so, these super spreaders I, I, as well. There's some people who are apparently they're more contagious than others and then the mere fact that you could be asymptomatic you could be you could be positive mm-hmm. for the virus, be asymptomatic, be experiencing absolutely no symptoms. And then spreading it to everybody else. I mean, that is just wild. Um. Yeah. And I think that's where the, you know, really sticking to that social distancing as much as you can, you know, feasibly and wearing a mask, even if it looks ridiculous. If you go out to like the store or something, wear a mask because if you have it, you might have it, you might spread it to someone else. And if you don't have it, at least you won't inhale those particles. Um, but yeah, now more than ever is really the time to like start listening to those rules because I mean, there are people, it's hitting people of all ages. And even though, even for the younger people, you might, you might not get it or you might get it and it could still like ruin your body. I mean, I haven't seen it personally, but it's very possible. Um, that you can be in the hospital. Like I've seen a case of like a 27 year old girl who was intubated and all that stuff. And it's like, it'll hit yeah. anyone of any age I mean, at this point. It isn't, it isn't, yeah. it isn't discriminate. Yeah. This so. disease does not care if you're 20, 30, 40, 50. Um, and you know, it's my understanding that if you are older, if you have some precondition, um, you're definitely more at risk to end up in the hospital. You're more at risk of, you know, possibly even dying. 
nevertheless, I mean, there's people who are in their 20s who are healthy, who are um, getting COVID-19, and they're ending up in the hospital. And we don't know what the long-term effects are um, as well. I mean, I mean, there's, right. again, some early research that's indicating that um, some of the people who have severe cases end up with damaged lungs. And whether or not that's whether or not that's permanent oh. or not, we don't know yet, but it's possible that, you know, some of these patients are going to end up experiencing long-term issues because of their, their battle with COVID. Yeah. Especially like for the severe patients, like the ones that are, if, when the COVID takes over their body and it causes a uh, multi-system organ failure, um, you know, if it hits the kidneys and it, your kidneys um, fail, some people end up on dialysis and dialysis often, uh, it can be a long-term lifelong thing. Um, what else is there? It can cause cardiac problems where like when the body goes into shock, perfusion drops. Perfusion, when I mean, when I mean by that is blood flow in the body drops because it wants to all rush to the heart. But after a while, perfusion will it'll slow to the point where the heart is missing oxygen. So people can have heart attacks. Um, same with the brain. If the brain is not getting oxygen, people, um, there's a thing called anoxic brain injury, which is your brain cells are slowly dying because you're not getting oxygen and it can, you know, cause major impact on people's functioning. Like I've seen people who go from walking like you and I to, an essential, I hate to say, almost a vegetative state because their brain lacked oxygen for that long. But those are severe cases. But when it comes to COVID-19 and what it can do to ruin your body, it's, it's all very serious. And this is all very a real possibility for a lot of people, um, no matter what age. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, that is why it's so scary, especially with you know, our nurses getting sick and stuff like that. If we're losing out on nurses, who's going to take care of those patients who, you know, are getting COVID and are sometimes ending up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what changes do you think need to happen now to protect nurses? If there's something that should be done immediately to protect healthcare professionals I mean, what would be your suggestions? Um, I think that, I mean, I can't say for sure where all the supply is going. Apparently, we're getting supplies made. Like the last time I watched the news, Trump had said, you know, we're, we're expecting more supplies to be coming in soon. Um, wherever those supplies are, they need to be sent out immediately. So especially to like place the biggest hotspots like New York and stuff, because it's not for me, it's not just about the nurses, but we need to be able to protect the nurses and protect our patients. Um, there also needs to be some sort of planned support for nurses, like mental health wise. Cause not, I mean, a lot of our nurses are coming or getting sick from not a lot, but they are getting sick from COVID, but the anxiety is insane wondering when is it when when are we going to come to work and not have the proper PPE or when are they going to make changes to where we can't protect ourselves and when are we going to come down with COVID yeah, because I they mean, don't want to give us what we need and 
it's yeah, all very it's stupid. incomprehensible to me that we can't as a nation provide our healthcare professionals who are on the front lines with gowns to me that's like the easiest thing easiest problem to solve like making gowns and making sure that every single hospital is oversupplied um it just doesn't make sense to me that you would have any any health uh, facility who's dealing with this crisis right now that wouldn't have gowns, that wouldn't have masks, the N95 mask. Um, it, it's just it's it's really um, hard for me to to grasp that in a country that has so much wealth, so many resources that we couldn't ensure that every single healthcare professional was adequately supplied with everything that they need to go fight this war. Um, and it's one of the things that, that I think frustrates me is, you know, a, a lot of people kind of, you know, they, they have kind of used the war analogy and it just seems like we just don't have the resources oh. to fight this war. And it's, um, it's right. Incredibly shocking that again that here in a country that um has so much wealth that we can't provide you all with the necessary things that you need to feel safe and also to protect your patients i mean the mere fact that you have patients who might get sick uh might catch covid uh, simply because you're unable to change your gown and you know change into uh, you know a new gown so that way you don't you know take this very virulent uh virus into another room yeah i mean i it, it's just it's a very sad situation and i mean i think they were just so ill-prepared they didn't take this seriously um I mean, you know, months ago, people were making stupid COVID memes and posting them all over Facebook, like, this wasn't going to happen to us. And lo and behold, it happened to us. And now people are changing their tune. But I think that, I mean, this is where the government failed. And this is where the healthcare system has also failed. Because I mean, we're still as nurses, we're still here. And we're still I mean, for nurses who are still there, we're, we're here for the patients and we're going to be there as much as we can to take care of them. Um, but for hospitals to be withholding supplies, it's just, it's to me, it, 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 it's so sad because it's a question of what's more important right now, withholding supplies and saving money or saving the lives of these patients. And, and protecting, and protecting, and protecting and, you, protecting you, yes. the person who's on the front lines. And I think, I mean, your, your point is yeah. incredibly important. I mean, if you, if you guys are not able to go in there and, you know, help the patient, um, you know, deal with the disease, if you don't have the things that you guys need, I mean, it's, it's not only, you know, bad for the patient, obviously, but. Um, it's got to be creating a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety for healthcare professionals. And I'm sure 
Oh. That there's just so many people around the country who are probably dealing with just an incredible amount of stress. And we know that stress is not good for, for your immune system. And so you have two issues. You're dealing with all this stress. And on top of that, you're not getting adequate sleep. And then you're not adequately supplied with the things that you need to um, help your patients. Yeah, stress is a major thing that, I mean, I've told a lot of my patients about in the past, stress causes a lot of damage to your body. Um, And we're experiencing stress. All of us are. I mean, even, I I mean, I'm one of the younger, I'm probably the the youngest person, the youngest nurse on my floor. And I I probably most of my floors actually. And and I stress a lot. Um, And then there's some, some young nurses who are getting, they're reporting that they're getting palpitations because of their fears and anxiety from this. And it's just like, we shouldn't have to be, I mean, it's a stressful job. Nursing is stressful, but we shouldn't have to have this unnecessary stress. I mean, COVID is a new thing for everyone and it's scary, but knowing that they're withholding and not giving us the protection is extra scary. And seeing how it's hitting everyone of different ages. um, I mean, I'm fortunate enough to hope that my age and being active, it's given me some immunity, but so I'm, I, I haven't really mentioned it to many people, but I've been volunteering to work in the unit. So my coworkers don't have to because they have kids and, you know, they're older and they're not as protected and knowing that they're stressed out. Like I want, I'll take, I'll take one for the team as long as I can but it's hitting yeah. everyone and it's scary for everyone. I mean, it, things are changing every day. Every time day we come into work, things are different. They're telling us we can't do this or they're taking this away or they want us to start reusing things. And it's just, it's, it's different. Yeah. It's it sounds scary. to me that, it, you know, you're, you're not going to work and being reassured, Hey, look, we're going to provide you guys with everything that you need. We're going to make sure that you guys are ready to, you know, do your job and you're not going to be lacking in any supplies. It doesn't seem like that's happening. Um, it sounds to me yeah. what's really going on is that, you know, not only are you dealing with the stress of the job, just having to go in and work with patients who are sick, but you're dealing with the stress of not knowing, hey, am I going to, you know, go into work and have the protection that I need so that way I can do the job to the best of my capability. And that's, that kind of stress to me is something that I feel like we can just completely take off the table if we have adequate resources available. I mean, I just don't mm-hmm. think nurses, nurses and any kind of healthcare professional, um, anybody who works in a hospital should be fearful to go to work. Um, and it, it just seems to me that that seems to be a very common theme that we're hearing you know, not just, you know, here in California, but pretty much wherever you see, um, you know, COVID um, cases, um, you know, popping up in, in, in hot spots like New York and Louisiana and Chicago. It just, it just seems yeah. like our hospitals and um, our, um, our local governments, our state governments, and our federal governments just don't have their act together. Um, and it's a, it's a little frustrating. And I could only imagine, again, I'm on the sidelines here. I'm not a healthcare professional. 
I mean, I'm at home mm -hmm. uh, teaching my classes utilizing Zoom now. I mean, you're having to go to work and deal with people who are actually sick. Um, and then I yeah. think about uh, the people who are washing all the, the gowns and all the clothes. Um, and are those people protected? I mean, I'm sure they are to some to some degree. But I, I've thought about that recently. I'm like, what about the people who go in and change the sheets and take the gowns and have to rewash this stuff? I mean, what kind of, you know, precautionary measures are right. being taken to protect those people? Yeah. So. And I'm, yeah, I'm sure, I, I think it, I'm sure it's different amongst every hospital. And I would, I would hope that they're giving them the protection, you know, at least that they're giving us nurses because if those sheets are soiled, they're handling bodily fluids that could have COVID. And I would not want to handle that without all, you know, the protection that a nurse would get, whether it be like the mask, you know, the um, goggles, gloves, gown. And we like, I don't need, I don't really know. No, I, I, I couldn't imagine I doing that kind of work. Mask. I couldn't imagine being the person who works at a hospital, who has to clean the sheets, who has to clean the gowns. Um, you know, to me, that's, uh, you know, those people are, you know, doing a, a very, very dangerous job. I mean, you know, what, you know, we know now is that this disease is incredibly contagious. And so I'm sure mm -hmm. I'm almost positive. There's, there's probably people who, who, you know, work in these hospitals and, you know, they're not nurses, they're not doctors, but they're doing, um, essential work and they're probably getting sick. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's with, with these hospitals that are really withholding supplies, it's, that's all very possible. Yeah. Well, like I said, um, I, I feel we could do better and, you know, I wish that our healthcare professionals could go to work and, you know, feel comfortable knowing that, um, they can do their jobs without a lack of, of necessary resources, whether it be the night, the N95 mask or the gowns or whatever else that you all need. Um, I, I can only imagine the stress that, um, you know, many of you are feeling and you're a very brave person that, you know, you would take over somebody else's shift. I'm not so sure I would be quite as brave. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not picking up any shifts, but when I go in, I'll, I'll I, I volunteer to go in there because I only work two days in a row at any given point. So, but I'm knowing that my coworkers, you know, they have a lot more to lose and they're older. I'm seeing how it's hitting people of different yeah. ages and like a lot of the nurses that I work with are, are they're not old, but they're like they're in their forties, fifties. Some of them have kids and stuff like that. Knowing that they're at more risk. I mean, I feel like I know I'm at risk too. I don't have as much to lose and I'm willing to, you know, make that sacrifice because I want them to be protected for an extra day. So maybe they won't get it. And, you know, their kids don't have to see their parent get sick with COVID and see how it ravages their body. Hopefully not. But, yeah. you know, I mean, until I get tired and I'm like, I need a day away from the COVID unit, I'm going to do my best to be there as much as I can, at least to support my coworkers and, you know, be a good nurse as much as there possible. You go. <laughs> so I'm going to let you go ahead and, 
you know, add anything that you wanted to add? Is there something that you want to say to our listeners or any kind of message that you want to get out there? Yeah. Um, I might go on a little bit of a ramble, but, uh, no, I just want to keep encouraging everyone to continue with the social distancing thing um, and remind everyone that we are all in this together. We have all lost something at this point. Um, and we just have to really try hard to keep hope that things will get better and keep hope that things will kind of return back to some sort of normal. Um, every day is different. This is a world of uncertainty at this point. Um, things are very lonely for a lot of people. I mean, I haven't mentioned much, but I struggle for mental health and I hate this isolation. Um, you know, I struggle from anxiety and I struggle from depression and, you know, just trying my best to stay busy has been very difficult, especially with not being able to see people that I normally see. And I know this is the case for a lot of other people, um, especially, um, the people that go to our gym, you know, and train jujitsu. It's like, it's, it's, uh, for me, it, it helps my mental health to be able to do that. And I know it does for a lot of other people, whether it's jujitsu or just exercising and stuff like that. And we just, we all have to just try our best and, you know, branch out into different things right now, you know, maybe going out by riding a bike or going for a walk, what have you. But I know these changes suck, but we're all in this together and we'll get out of this eventually. We just, we got to trust that, you know, those scientists out there who are studying and trying to create vaccines and rapid testing, um, this is a scary time for everyone. It's scary for me as a nurse. It's scary for the doctors. It's scary for the people who are out and about, who are worried about getting COVID out in the real world. Um, but just try your best to keep hope uh, and keep some positivity amongst all this scary negativity and just scary times. Um, take care of yourselves, eat healthy and get good sleep, you know, try and de-stress the, bo- the best that you can. Uh, yeah, just keep pushing all this self-care and positive stuff right now. Cause that's what everyone needs. And yeah, keep following the rules and the recommendations and just, Clean your hands. Also clean your hands. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, that was, you know, really well said. And um, I just want to say that uh, to all healthcare professionals, all the doctors and all the nurses, the people who work at these hospitals every single day, you know, we wish you all, you know, well, and we want uh, you all to know that you know, we support you and we know that the work that you're doing is incredibly difficult um, and incredibly important. And um, I agree. I think that, you know, we need to stick together. Um, You know, there is a lot of negativity out there and we have a lot of folks who are not following the rules and I'll be the first to admit I was a little late in uh, getting on board with, um, you know, social distancing. Um, but I, I think I, I realized just how serious this issue is and the best thing that we can do. And I, I think you would probably agree with this is, you know, follow the recommendations. And if we do that, uh, 
we'll probably be able to resume our typical routine much quicker. If we don't, then, you know, we might end up um, back where we're at right now. It's very possible um, that, uh, you know, we could end up back in uh, shelter in place mode if, um, you know, we, you know, release people back into society too quickly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. And every time they extend the shelter in place, it's a little heartbreaking, but we also, we have to remember that this is, this is for our protection in the long run because no one is immune to COVID-19. This is a completely new strand of SARS and this is a foreign strand that we're still learning about as these weeks go by. Um, so we all need to protect ourselves and we need to protect others. Um, this is not about being selfish anymore. We have to be selfless and we have to do what we can to help the situation and not, you know, create more problems. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I just want to thank you again for your time and, you know, thank you for your hard work. Um, we uh, will be thinking about you and hopefully We'll get through this soon, um, no guarantees, but I'm looking forward to yeah. seeing you back on the mat, uh, training jujitsu. And um, <laughs> I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that <laughs> all of us jujitsu practitioners out there are really having a difficult time right now. And um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I know I am. And, you know, you'd mentioned, um, you know, you struggle with, you know, anxiety and, you know, depression and whatnot. And I think a lot of us mm -hmm. who train jujitsu, that's one of the things that we do to manage our anxiety and manage our depression. And, and there's so many of us who are missing out on those activities right now. So um, if we get through this, um, I think uh, a lot of us will be really excited uh, to be able to resume those activities again. Right. Yeah. I mean, we just got to keep following the rules. I mean, this is a whole, this is a whole world effort, I guess, at this point. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, I'm looking on websites and looking at geese and I'm like, I want to get one, but I can't cause there's no point right now, <laughs> but we'll get back there eventually. <laughs> yes. I know. I, I see these sales. There's so many different sales right now. I'm like, well, what's the point of buying a gi? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I want to get a new one, but we can't roll. Yeah. Yet, so. I saw, I saw, I'll just wait. I saw, <laughs> I saw a gi on sale and I'm like thinking, Hey, it's a pretty good discount. I'm like, well, I can't roll. So <laughs> really what's <laughs> the point? Just hang it up on the wall. Yeah. I guess like I could just that. buy it one day and just put it in my <laughs> closet and look at it every day, torture myself. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Kelly, I want to thank you once again. Uh, stay safe out there. Stay healthy. Make sure that you eat well and get some good rest. So that way, um, you know, you stay strong and, you know, you, um, let us know how you're doing, okay? Okie dokie. All right. All right. Thank you. All right. You have a good night. Thank you so much. Okay. You too.